0: to the Nick and Nolan show, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast with your host Nick Bat. The Prime Minister of Sweden visited Washington today and my tiny little nipples went to France and Bruce Nolan.
1: Yo, brethren. What up with thee?
0: Welcome everybody. Thank you so much for joining us for this edition of the Nick and Nolan Show, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm one of your two co-hosts, Nick Bat. You can find me on Twitter at N-I-C-K-B-A-T. And along with me as always... Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter at Bruce Exclusive. That's right. And the streak lives on. Our Buffalo Bills are now 3-0 and after a game that was a beatdown turned... Little disappointment, sloppy worrying, to a meltdown, to exciting, and a comeback. So I think some, some combination of those things in some order is about what this game was on Sunday. Safe to say I think most people might consider it a little bittersweet. You actually had an interesting tweet, Bruce, that I thought was very, very articulate in that you were simultaneously more optimistic about the Bills' playoff hopes and simultaneously less optimistic about the Bills' opportunity or the Bills' chances this weekend compared to what you felt like before the game on Sunday.
1: Yeah. I think that if you look at what's going on in the AFC, and I don't think it's too early to have this discussion, especially not if you're a team that fancies yourself a playoff contender, as the Bills should fancy themselves this year. If you look around the AFC you see things lining up really well for the Bills to make a playoff run. But at the same time, you also wanted to see stuff this last Sunday that you didn't see that would give you optimism that the Bills can beat the Patriots. If the Bills would have won that game 28 to nothing, if the second half literally just would have copied and pasted the first half, are you trying to tell me we wouldn't feel better going into this week that maybe we can maybe we can play the patriots
0: yeah no i that's exactly the complaint that i have a version of that complaint was the complaint i had after the giants game i think the appetite for people hearing that was different there were there were some who were already there and there were some who were saying no nah, it's it's too much too early you can't be negative blah 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 i i don't know what to say to that criticism or the lack of appetite to hear that take aside from I think we're just trying to figure out what this team is.
1: I think truth matters, man. Just truth matters and truth is somewhere above bad and somewhere below great.
0: Yeah. And you tr- you have but that's a wide spectrum. It's yeah. a very wide spectrum.
1: And so we're trying to figure that out.
0: Yeah. And and y- y- you look at the evidence. Now, it, there's two things that I think are true that people kind of people kind of maybe conflate when they're thinking about this one is that at the end of the year if you are 10 and 6 or you are 9 and 7 or you are 11 and 5 it does not matter how ugly any of those ones in the win column were or how much you how close you were to any of those ones that are in the loss column it does not matter what i think we are talking about and what other people are talking about is that how ugly those wins are and how how many wins you get that are super ugly and how many losses you have where you were really close can somehow be can, can sometimes be predictive of what the next game is going to
1: yield the best predictor of future success isn't previous wins it's previous performances
0: yeah the vegas odds take into account very much what a team looks like, whether they win or lose. And the Vegas people are, one, typically very, very accurate. Uh, more accurate than most of us. Now, they're playing odds. They're not just playing pickums, So it's a little bit, you know, they, they have some wiggle room there built in. But the guy, so Joel Stanishevsky is a guy who's on Tim Graham's podcast or t- Tim Graham's radio show every week. He's a Buffalo Bills fan, but he is in Vegas, and for a time he was a Vegas odds maker. And he talked about how, before the Bengals game, that if the Bills really wipe the floor with the Bengals and the Patriots somehow collapse, the Patriots are going to come out probably still a five-point favorite. If the exact opposite happens, and the Patriots wipe the floor with the Jets, and the Bills struggle and against the Bengals, then the game could open up at maybe uh, New England seven to eight-point favorite, maybe nine. And that doesn't really... Sw- I mean, that, that movement, for some reason, was interesting because it didn't really change a lot. And we're over here under the microscope trying to evaluate every single game and every single bit of news and every single thing that comes our way... To figure out Whatever we can is true About this team At the same time you could have Something that looks really extreme One way or another you could have two things that, are th- that matter that are really extreme One way or another and it still Potentially only moves the odds Four or five points as far as Vegas Is concerned which I don't know what else to say other than I think that's That's interesting about how much People think they already know about Teams before these
1: games yeah, I mean, it's, it's not all wins are the same. And I know that on the end of the year, like you said, all wins look the same at the end of the year. But when you're in the middle of it, you're trying to predict future wins. And the best way to predict future wins is not past wins. That's not true. It's just not. I'm sorry, guys. It's just not true. If you want to try and predict future wins, the first thing you look to is not, well, did they win last week? it really doesn't matter because there's so many other factors how did they play who were they playing against what was the weather like was it road or away? was it rotor home was it, there's so many other factors associated with that it's not as simple as wins which is part of the whole wins are quarterback stat nonsense that people give me all the time but not only are wins not a quarterback stat wins are not the only marker of how well you're doing there is not all 3 and 0 teams are created equal and not all 0 and 3 teams are created equal so I understand that 3-0 matters, but we're not trying to go 3-0. We're trying to go 11-5. And the difference between one 3-0 team who ends up going 11-5 or 10-6 and and the difference between a different 3-0 team who ends up going 8-8 is how they won those 3-0 games. So it's not that simplistic. We're not just going to stop at, well, we're 3-0. Okay, see ya. Bye-bye, boys. Have fun storming the castle. Bye. That, like, that, no, that's not how this works. First off, what would we have to talk about? I mean, we're sitting here. You know, Buffalo Rumblings wants us to do a pod, and they want us to talk about stuff. Welcome to the Nick and Nolan Show. We're 3-0. and o. Join us next week for the Nick and Nolan Show. Like, that's just it's not very interesting, first off. But also, it's not really enlightening. It doesn't tell you anything. 3-0 and o is great, and that's wonderful, and it's a wonderful result. But as you may have heard me say, how and why are more important interrogatives than what. And 3-0 and o is just a data point, but we're going to talk about the how and the why.
0: Okay, so let's get into some of the narratives, some of the consistent storylines that exist now for the Bills uh, and their fans and the Bills media coming out of the Bengals game. This first one is actually something that we intended to talk about last week, but truly just ran out of time and didn't get a chance to put it in. But I think we can still talk about what we saw last week that that influenced why we thought it was interesting. Josh Allen is looking looking good in a lot of ways. Now, there this game, I think, was more so-so. The interception that he threw which allowed the Bengals to score and really tighten up the game, was costly. Now, he's made mistakes earlier this season, but they haven't been as costly. The consequences of them were not so blatantly in front of fans' eyes, I would say, as what we saw in the Bengals game. At the same time, I still thought that at, a, at several points, he just looks sharp. He, his confidence behind the line of scrimmage... And getting people set and reading the defense pre-snap and then taking the snap. He stands back there like a statue in the very beginning of the game. Doesn't move his feet at all. But it just it's it's incredibly comfortable looking. He definitely doesn't seem skittish, which is potentially concern you could have for a quarterback at his tenure. What we have noticed is that he looks like If you want to talk about different types of Josh Allen that we are seeing right now before our eyes, it might be during the initial part of the game when the offense is running their initial scripted plays. So before we even get into that, scripted plays are a thing, and it might not have ever really thought about what scripted plays are actually doing. So Bruce, give us a little bit of a rundown of how scripted plays work for a team going into a week and, and their game
1: plan and all of that. So an offensive coordinator comes in to a week with a specific game plan that is a subsection of the playbook. Typically you don't come into the, the game with your entire playbook in your game plan. You, you just don't. You didn't practice those plays. The playbook might be 90 pages long and your game plan might be 30 plays. And it's just, it's a specific subsection of a larger playbook. And that is based on specific tendencies that you see from the defense, specific things you think you might have an advantage doing, matchups that you like, things like that. But in a lot of cases, I'm not saying every single game has a script because that's not true. But in a lot of cases, 5, 10, 15, 20 plays in the initial part of the game might be scripted. And there's specific things that are going to be done almost regardless of down and distance. Obviously, there are changes here. But almost regardless of down and distance that the offense wants to call. And the question, of course, being why why these plays and why in this order. The first one is that it helps the quarterback get in rhythm. If the quarterback knows, okay, I've done it this way, four times in practice already this is the way it goes I'm just more comfortable I know what plays coming next I, I'm just it becomes more habitual it's muscle memory at that point point. and that's the obvious one but in addition to that there is the question that you want to make sure that the defense you see on film is the defense you're actually getting and one of the ways you verify that is you have a specific set of plays and you go okay going into the week I think I know if I run this play I think I know what I'm going to get from this defense But let's just go ahead and run it and see if that's what they actually give me. So that's the second reason. So I think I know that if I go to this personnel grouping, if I go 21 personnel with DeMarco on the field, I think they're going to give me base defense. Let's verify that by running a play out of 21 personnel with DeMarco on the field. Now, once they do that, you go, okay, great. Now that's what they're going to do moving forward, very likely, if... DeMarco's on the field and 21 personnel. Great. If you run that play during the script and you roll out 21 personnel and they come out nickel, you go, oh, well, that's, that may or may not be what I saw in film, but let's make a note of that. Let's make a note that they're going nickel when I bring a fullback on the field. Maybe I want to make some adjustments now. It's a little bit like in fighting when you say you have a feeling out period and you're finding your range. in. MMA, there is, a, there is a length factor that comes into fighting. And you'll see oftentimes the beginning times of a fight, fighters kind of feeling each other out. They're circling each other. They're finding their range. Because as much as your training partners might be similar to this person, they're not exactly like this person. So you brought in your training partners. You did your best possible reconstruction of what this guy's going to look like in front of you. But until you actually have that exact guy in front of you, you don't really know for sure. You just know a reasonable facsimile of that person. That person comes in, all of a sudden you throw a couple jabs and they're not quite getting there. You're like, okay, well, my range is a little off today. It's a very similar metaphor to the scripting in offensive game scripts. The last thing that's important about offensive game scripting is I want to make sure... That they're gonna react a certain way when I do this certain thing. Not to be confused with the personnel groupings I just described. This is a, okay. I think that they're gonna give me their I'll give you a great example. This this entire this upcoming week. I think Stefan Gilmore's gonna be on John Brown. Bruce thinks that. That's not a hypothetical. I actually think they're gonna put Stefan Gilmore on John Brown and just say, have a have a nice day. He's the eraser. We're going to put him on John Brown. That's what I think is going to happen. So going into the week, we assume that. But we're going to run a couple plays that are scripted to John Brown. And we want to specifically see if Gilmore is going to follow him when he's in motion, for example. So we're going to make sure we put a couple plays in there where John Brown is in pre-snap motion. And we want to see if Gilmore follows him in each time. The other thing that we want to do But wait, there's more. Is we want to have plays in there that deal with the types of coverages you're going to see. Zone beaters or man beaters. You and I talked about concepts when we did the Earhart Perkins pod. And we talked about concepts. There are some concepts that are built to beat man coverage. Uh, Those short rub routes are designed to beat man coverage. There are some concepts that are designed to beat zone coverage. They're flood plays. They're designed to beat zone coverage. So I'm going to run these plays at the very beginning of the game to see if they're working the way as I intended them to do. All of this contributes to the feeling out process. But because they're so standardized and because Josh Allen knew they were coming and is ready for them, he's going to look more comfortable in the script than he does necessarily off the script. So as a defense...
0: I'm sure that you, everybody is aware that that's what the offense is trying to get out of you, right? So as a defense, how do you return, how do you answer their chess move, right? So they want to know, are you shadowing John Brown with Stephon Gilmore? They want to know how you react to certain personnel sets. They want to know whatever you just offered, right? So is it possible that on the first series or the first couple of series you would give them a false look just with the intent of saying I'm not going to let you get a leg up and know how we're going to behave the rest of the game
1: maybe but because possessions are so finite you don't want to you don't want to you don't want to get too cute yeah, you don't want to... If you think Stephon Gilmore can beat John Brown, you're not going to purposely take him off just to get cute for later in the game. Because if you do that, he could score two touchdowns on you. So it's one of those things where, yes, okay, but I think my guy's better than your guy anyway, which is the reason why I put him on there. So we're not going to get cute and just you know mess around with it just to play chess with you.
0: Well, let's take a step back to last week against the Giants then. Because the Giants scored on the opening possession and then their offense largely disappeared for the remainder of the game. That opening possession, the Bills' defense said, well, they showed us some things we hadn't seen on film, right? So that would mean that they had hypothetically scripted some things that were new in order to try to take advantage of the Bills' defense, and it worked remarkably well. The Bills then answered, can you give us any kind of insight about the
1: inner workings of what was happening there? At the time when the Giants ran those particular run plays. They had not run those particular run plays previously. Those run plays had not shown up in any sort of significant tendencies previously. Now, when they ran them on the first drive, the Bills said, okay, well, we have something in the game plan for that. We didn't call any of those defenses because we didn't think you were going to do that. But it's not like we don't have the tools to beat it. We just didn't use them because we didn't think you were going to do this. There is an element that makes people really uncomfortable when it comes to play calling. There is an element of rock, paper, scissors to play calling that I don't think people are really comfortable with because they don't want to accept that there's a level of randomness to this. It's not Tecmo Super Bowl, you call the same plays and all of a sudden you get a a free rusher of a blitz. That's not how this is. But if, if you're calling a specific defense because you think they like to do something like this on this particular down and then they don't do that, that defense is going to be vulnerable to whatever that defense gives you up. Every single defense that you could possibly call has a weakness. Every single one. There is no defense, defensive play you can call that covers all potential offensive outcomes. If it was, you would just call that same play every single time. That's not how this works. That's not how any of this works. That's not how it works. That's not how any of this works. So... Every defense gives you something. You ever wonder what that phrase, take what the defense gives you, comes from? It comes from the concept that every defense has something that they're giving you. If you are playing man two, okay, you have two safeties who are responsible for the deep halves of the field, and then you're playing man coverage underneath, and then you're rushing four. Very, very, very basic defense, okay? That has a weakness, the weakness is tight end up the seam. The weakness is rub routes underneath. The weakness is a V route coming out of the backfield from a running back. Those are weaknesses to that defense because what you're going to have is you're going to have a linebacker isolated on a running back in space. And that's going to be problematic in a lot of cases. It just is. So there is an element of rock, paper, scissors to this. There is an element of Did we call the appropriate defense to guess correctly what they were going to do on this play? This is one of the reasons why disguising defenses is so important and one of the reasons why Sean McDermott and Leslie Fisher do such a good job is because it's not a complicated play. We're just not going to show you what it is until later in the down. So sometimes you can see a quarterback get three steps into his drop and if you watch the All-22, you still don't know what play it is. From the defense. You don't know what coverage you're getting. And you're three steps into the drop. You still don't know. That's awesome. That's great. Because we know full well that every defense has a weakness. But we're not going to show it to you until the absolute last second we have to show it to you. Because we don't want you to know. Because we know there's a weakness. Everything has a weakness. And so with the scripting, a lot of this stuff comes full circle with the rock, paper, scissors. I do this. They do this, okay. One, two, three, rock. Okay, what did they give me? Did they give me paper? Crap. Okay, they give me scissors. Okay, well, let's let's store that for later. Okay, so whenever
0: a quarterback gets a good sense of what a defense is going to do pre-snap, is that why you had Peyton Manning his entire career constantly changing the play and changing the play and changing the play? at the line of scrimmage because he was attempting to get the absolute perfect offensive play called in order to take advantage of what he was quite confident the defense was
1: doing. Yeah, this is also where hard counts come in. Hard counts are not specifically also, they're not just to try to pull somebody off sides. If I hard count and you think the ball is snapped, you are going to move to the spot where you intended to move when the ball was snapped because you thought the ball was snapped. So if I go, hut, 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 and all of a sudden that safety that was like right there on the line of scrimmage starts kind of shifting back, I'm like, okay, he's going to drop into coverage. And now I change the play. And then the defense goes, oh crap, he saw us. Quick, let's also change the play. And then you see Tremaine Edmonds tap his shoulders or tap his helmet and look over and call out something and go, no, you know, guys, we got caught. Let's quick change that again. And so, this is where the back and forth. This is where the chess match comes into play. And this is where Brian Dable does such a good job at giving Josh Allen the answers to the test ahead of time. This is where pre snap motion and play action are cheat codes in the passing game. The answer is always pre snap motion, and the answer is always play action.
0: I was always so frustrated whenever, like Rick Dennison, no motion in the offense, very, oh my very gosh. little. Driving bonkers. I, I don't understand why you wouldn't every single play within reason
1: use motion pretty much yeah no pretty much because the personnel grouping the shifting and the pre-snap motion gives you as much information to the quarterback as humanly possible before the ball is snapped before the ball is snapped josh allen the more he knows the less he has to process after the ball is snapped the less he has to process after the snap the smaller the actually the larger at that point the, the larger the margin of error at that point and that's good And it's all part of the chess game. So let's just go back
0: to Josh Allen, which is kind of how we started this. He's looking good during the scripted play portion of offensive series early in games. I think we would say he's looking quite sharp. That makes sense. I would say he's improving across the board and is still exceeding many people's expectations. I mean, commentary on Twitter I was at the game, so I wasn't on Twitter nearly as much as I normally am during the game, but I could still see that commentary during the start of the game and during the first half was glowing about Josh Allen, and it certainly came back to earth in the second half. How would you describe maybe where you are with Josh Allen? I think it's very hazy for all of us, so I'm not trying to pin you down or anything, but I'm curious as how you would describe him to maybe somebody who asked, what do you see
1: of josh or what do you think of allen improvement is clearly present and improvement is clearly needed that's where we're at with josh allen this idea that somehow there is a point we can give him right now he's this is it's just too early man that's just it's just too early if josh allen never gets better than what he is now He's not a good quarterback. What did you say? But he's probably going to get better than what he is now. So you can't act like what you're looking at right now is static. In the same way that you couldn't do that last year. Last year, I said he went from terrible to me. I am well on record many times over. The receipts exist for me saying he went from terrible to me. And this year, I wanted him to go from me to, hmm. Specifically, I wanted that. We're not at, hmm, yet, but we're me. at, okay. It's a great Beaker impression, the Muppets. I know, right? Me-woo-hoo! Me-woo-hoo! I love Beaker. I love the Muppets. Yeah, oh, God, I love, I love the, the Muppets. We love the Muppets. Yeah, we, we, don't the
0: Muppets. Have, we don't have nearly enough Muppet sound bites in this pod yet.
1: Anyway, so the point being that... That's where Josh Allen is. He's between two spots. Improvement is clearly present, but improvement is also clearly necessary. He he has clearly not arrived. If Josh Allen never gets any better than this, we need a new quarterback. But the fact that he's already gotten better than what he was at the end of last year is good. So just stay on trajectory, baby. Just stay on trajectory. Okay. There was a part of this conversation that you
0: actually wanted to have which is a question that you want to talk about, you would ask fans to evaluate. So I'll, I'll, let, I'll turn it over to you and let you ask the question and define, its, define it, and then I will guess I'll
1: give you my answer. So I was listening to a sermon a while ago, and it kind of inspired me for this question. And one of the things that I think is really kind of neat to talk about as we talk about the potential of this being a good team and the potential of Josh Allen maybe being the guy is this question, how big is your butt?
0: Oh my God, Becky, look at her butt. I like big butts and I cannot lie.
1: Now, I understand there's probably a soundbite that we're going to use at that point. It's been used. We can move on. (laughs) But when I say how big is your butt, I mean B-U-T. How big is your butt? I'll give you a great example of what I mean by this. Adversity happens over the course of the season. And things go wrong. And a lot of times, the most consistent and universal trait between good teams who are good over a long period of time is a franchise quarterback. You and I talked about this before. Can you win without a franchise quarterback? Yes, absolutely you can. Can you win consistently without a franchise quarterback? No. No, you can't. So the question is, when you have X, Y, and Z happen to you, what is the but? Allow me to elaborate. The New England Patriots.
0: Boo! Boo!
1: The New England Patriots have had Brady get suspended for deflate gate. The New England Patriots have had constant offensive overhaul. The New England Patriots have started third string left tackles. The New England Patriots have had no pass rush. The New England Patriots have lost their best defender multiple times, traded him away sometimes. But they have Tom Brady. But they have Bill Belichick. But. They have Dante Scarnecchia. This is what's cool about teams that are good. And I was thinking about this when I was thinking about Josh Allen. Hey, you know what? We really let the Bengals get back in that game. We really let the Bengals kind of sneak up on us and get us in that third quarter. We really should have been ahead by a lot more. He threw that really bad pass. But... We have a quarterback who's had multiple game-winning touchdown drives and doesn't seem to give one flying <laughs> what time of day it is or what the score is. He's just going to keep right on chugging along. I want the biggest butt out there.
0: That's what she said.
1: <laughs> I want to have the biggest butt possible and right now we're developing a larger butt. Giggity. And as the the better our coaches And the better our culture is, and the better our quarterback is, all those things that are improving, the better our defense is, the better this team gets, the bigger the butt is. Yeah, It allows us
0: significant confidence and ability to overcome any individual or series of
1: on-field mistakes in-game. Previous Bills regimes didn't have enough pluses to create a butt it was everything had to go right or else we would lose there was no butt it was well we you know we uh, we lost somebody for the season and then we lost it was a so we lost this guy for the season so we lost we we really struggled to contain the run so we lost we had no pass rush. We had no pass rush, so we lost. And so as we get better, I want us to, to take a second and just recognize philosophically that we have changed from the so culture to the butt culture. That's definitely a glass
0: half full perspective on the, what I might describe as nonsense, the Bills have put on tape in the third quarter of the past two weeks. You know, you let teams come back that you shouldn't and all of that kind of stuff. And we've talked, we don't we'll have to get right back into it again. But, you know, there's a certain kind of team that puts you down early and you just have no chance. And we've been on the receiving end of that multiple times. Uh, we know what it looks like. So it would be nice to be that other team. We're not that team yet. But we do have Josh Allen and we do have all the things that are positive and that are going our way as a result. So we'll learn more, I'm, I'm certain, in the coming days. Okay, real quick, before we continue talking about the Bengals and the state of the Bills and everything, we're going to take a quick break. We will come back and finish that conversation. Then we will probably take another break and then, and then talk about the Patriots game. So thanks for sticking with us. We'll be right back. Thanks, everybody, for joining us for this edition of the Nick and Nolan Show. I am Nick Bat. You can find me on Twitter at N-I-C-K-B-A-T.
1: I am Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter at Bruce Exclusive.
0: And we are going to jump right back into this conversation about where the Bills are currently and the narratives after the Bengals game. The biggest thing I think people are talking about right now is whether or not the Bills are good and good enough to put up a fight and potentially beat the Patriots on Sunday. And a lot of that is around... The records of the other teams that we've played. It's also around the records of the teams the Patriots have played. So the Bills' opponents thus far are a combined one and eight, and they really should be probably zero oh and nine because Jameis Winston gave the Buccaneers a thirty-four-yard field goal attempt. I think as time expired or very close to it, and the dude shanked it hard right. And if he makes that, the Giants lose, and the Giants are not one and th- one and two; they're zero oh and three. So we would both be collectively three and zero against teams that are a collective zero and nine. The Bills and the Patriots. You mentioned the 2008 Bills as being something that perhaps we're either thinking about or can draw parallels to. And if I remember correctly, the 08 Bills were were five and one, and everybody's darling because who doesn't love an underdog? Who doesn't love somebody that rises to the occasion, all that stuff across the league and across the NFL media, people were loving the bills. And there were also a few voices who were saying they haven't really played anybody. I think this was a, this was a season. We had a big comeback game early in the season against Oakland, right? Trent Edwards threw a touchdown pass as time expired to Roscoe parish. I think that's right. So I I remember this season, you know, eleven years ago, I remember it as much as I can. What is your take on whether or not the Bills are good? We've played nobody, what do we know about the team?
1: The shades of two thousand eight are real for me. Let's let's go back with me, if you will. In two thousand eight, we had a second year quarterback who was really promising. People don't remember, but a couple games into that season, Trent Edwards had a different nickname. It was Captain Clutch. So we were having discussions as to whether or not Trent Edwards had the clutch gene. Second year quarterback who was surrounded by really bad talent in college, but had natural gifts. Sound familiar? This stuff was real in 2008. 2008 was also the last time I really believed in the Bills. When Trent Edwards beat the San Diego Chargers coming off of a bye for us to go 5-1, and one, that was the moment. That was the last time I believed in the Bills. It was 11 years ago. That's how long it's been since I've been optimistic about the Bills. And my optimistic? I'm like, yes, this is it. We're a good team. I was there. I remember it. Everyone pretends like the concussion was the end of Trent Edwards, but he actually had a bye week, came back off the bye after the concussion, played bonkers. And we were like, okay, well, he's clearly okay. And then slowly. And by the end of that year, we weren't calling him Captain Clutch anymore. We were calling him Captain Checkdown. Trentative. Trentative. Trentative check words. That was when the Hey There, Trent Edwards song came out. If you haven't heard that, YouTube that. YouTube, Hey There, Trent Edwards. You'll thank me later. Prove all the haters out here wrong. Your arm is strong. But the fact of the matter is that we had a conservative coach who ran a zone based defense, who was well liked by his players. And we had a second year quarterback who we're optimistic about, who came from a program where he was surrounded by less than stellar talent. Remember, at that time, Stanford was a terrible, terrible football school. That was before Shaw got there to Stanford. That was back to when literally Trent Edwards was just trying to carry a team in Stanford and was getting obliterated. Taking a beating, doing it. Yes. But he had natural gifts. There is some shades there. We also beat the St. Louis Rams, who were not very good. We beat the Oakland Raiders with Jamarcus Russell, who were, you know, not very good. We got absolutely obliterated by the Cardinals when Trent Edwards went out. We came back, we beat the Chargers. We are feeling good, and then all of a sudden the Dolphins beat us, and the Jets beat us, and the Dolphins beat us again, <laughs> the Jets beat us again. So, I, I don't remember the exact, you know, the exact win-loss for the rest of the year, but we just literally 5-1 to 7-9. and nine. Yeah, we fell off a cliff. Without a doubt, we fell off a cliff. So, it's not the same regime. It's not the same players. There's no reason that that, there's no data, there's no reason at all that that data would have any sort of Influence on today, and that's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying it's the same team. It's it's we don't have the same owner. Do we have different owner, different front office, different GM, different coach, different quarterback? There's nothing the same at all. Except for the feeling, the feeling is the same. And this is what I talked about last week. I can't ask Bills fans to not have those feelings. These Bills fans have been connected to the team longer than Sean McDermott. I can't ask them to not have those feelings. But there are some shades here. Are the Bills good? I'm not ready. Because of the way I feel, I'm not ready. In addition to the way I feel, there's no data to indicate that they're good. Because not all 3-0 teams are built the same, which we just said. And we know this, that all not all 3-0 teams are built the same because of 2008. So then despite the table being set the
0: way that it is and the Bills being able to potentially get to 10 and six, 11 and five playing against teams that have not had a great start. How does this influence your expectations or does it, do you refuse to have any expectations until further?
1: The Bills should not wait until year four to have expectations of playoffs Given what has happened. If the Bills do not make the playoffs this year, barring something catastrophic, it should be a disappointment. If we only won our games against teams that haven't won a game so far this year, we'd be nine and seven. If the only thing we do the rest of the year is beat teams that as of right now are winless, we'd be nine and seven. We should win we should, as fans, raise the bar. We should not be the bar should not be Josh Allen be an average quarterback and we get to eight and eight. That should not be the bar for year three of a regime. It should be playoffs. We should be expecting playoffs. By the end of this year, we should expect Josh Allen to be a average to above average NFL quarterback, be clearly trending in the right direction, and for this team to make the playoffs. We shouldn't be scared and gun shy based on the last twenty years to raise our expectations.
0: Yeah. I am I am finding myself in a weird headspace where it's silly, but I'm almost expecting the drought to come back. We broke the drought, but now we're in for another now we're in for another long, long season of mediocrity or worse and you know history would tell us that even with other franchises that's not how it works so for us to go back to the playoffs after being there one time in my you know 12 year old self or later's life it's literally an adjustment to expectations fans who have a longer period of ex- of experience with the team specifically during the glory years, right? Because really after that is when everything started to go bad. We went to the playoffs in 99, and then after that was, you know,
1: yuck. Buzz your girlfriend. Woof.
0: So it's just, it's interesting. I mean, it's complicated. There's all kinds of feels, and then we're going to get even more into the feels as we talk about next week's game. But I totally agree that if I try to think about this truly only rationally, if we don't make the playoffs this year, it means that things have really gone down from where they are right now, really gone downhill. Let's talk about the two things that I think are giving everybody heartburn over what we saw on Sunday against the Bengals. And those would be, and I don't know if they're related, but you can tell us if you think they're related, the third quarter... Malaise that just seems to set on this team coming out of halftime which with a coaching staff that you think highly of you would imagine that would not be a weakness of the team would be halftime adjustments or being taken advantage of by the other teams halftime adjustments one reason or another absolutely what we have experienced two weeks in a row and the pass rush with well, the lines in general. Both the pass rush and the offensive line having some woes. Uh, Considering how much we talked about the Bengals' offensive line not being great. Not great, Bob! We did not get home nearly as much as I was expecting. And one of the few times we did get home was, uh, was, you know, the one that comes to mind immediately was the Kevin Johnson blitz. It wasn't even our base four. It was a Kevin Johnson blitz where he was initially out of position. Micah Hyde lines him up correctly, and he gets a sack on the play. So, just to summarize some of the facts about the offensive line: John Feliciano goes out with a neck injury. So, Cody Ford moves inside. Ty Secchi's on the field full time, which is that's great. Wouldn't like to do it at the expense of John Feliciano, but that's a good that's you know that's something that we both have said that we wanted. Then. Ty Insecki gets hurt, so Cody Ford has to go back outside, and we bring on Spencer Long, and at least from what I saw, again, I was in the stands, it was a live watch. What do I know? I, I haven't seen the All-22. I didn't think Spencer Long instilled a whole lot of confidence. I thought he had a couple bad reps, although considering his experience, he's a great guy to have to, call, to, to come on the field whenever you do need somebody to step in. And luckily, Ty Insecki, whatever happened, he was able to shake it off and come back. What is going on with these two units? And is there anything that we ought to be doing differently or anything
1: we should be worried about? So I watched the game back again last night, specifically looking at offensive and defensive line play. I really, this is not me spiking the ball at this point, but I was right about Cody Ford. He's not a tackle. Just stop. Just just stop. Well,
0: so what do we do in this situation whenever we become shorthanded on the outside? Is it Connor McDermott? Is he our third tackle?
1: Or Ryan Ryan Bates? Bates?
0: You think one of them would be a
1: worthwhile experiment over Cody Ford? At right tackle? Yes. Yes. Cody Ford was getting help at right tackle and was still messing it up at the beginning of this game. Cody Ford is not a tackle. Stop. Just stop. If you want to try to work that into his skill set in the offseason and see if maybe we can kind of try again next year. Sure, that's fine. But Cody Ford on the field right now as a right tackle is a liability. He needs to not play there ever again for the rest of this year. No more snaps at right tackle. No, just no. There's plenty of things I get wrong. That one, it looks like I got nailed. Cody Ford at guard was markedly better. Now, he still got embarrassed by Geno Atkins a couple times. Geno Atkins
0: is a good football but player. But Geno
1: Atkins is a great football player, and Cody Ford's a, a rookie guard. Yeah. Geno Atkins gets paid too. so He gets paid a lot of money because he's very, very, very good. But Cody Ford was so much better at guard. So much better at guard. Like, you can see the upside is there. It's just not a tackle. Just... Just stop, guys. Just stop doing it. It's not working. Just stop. Okay, so when John Feliciano comes back, is he seeing the field again? It depends on how Cody Ford's playing at the time. John Feliciano's playing pretty well. Yeah, John Feliciano's playing really well. There might It, it might be three people competing for two jobs, because Quentin Spain hasn't been like destroying the world. Yeah, he's been entrenched, though. I mean, there's... D-
0: You know, offensive lines, coaches, or whatever, they have this. This happens, where there is just a guy they are sweet on. Sure. And Quentin Spain from day one was really not in a competition.
1: That was his job. If Feliciano comes back and Spain is just whatever, and Cody Ford is good, then have Feliciano split reps with Spain at left guard and see how that goes. Because I want the best five on the field. And if Feliciano is a better right guard than Cody Ford, great. But there are three names here: Spain, Feliciano, Ford. The two best should play. And Niseki is just you clearly put, the best right
0: tackle. Put it in stone. Put it in. Write it in in ink. He should stone not. Is, stone's more
1: permanent than ink.
0: Carving it in stone is more permanent than writing it in ink. Well, I mean,
1: yeah, sure.
0: Well, I just I I but you don't how often I do you laid carve out, something in stone. I laid out. I laid out like a definitiveness. And then you gave a definitiveness that was weak sauce. Yeah, compared but to my market. definitiveness is something that actually happens. People do write me. It was just a, it's a, it's a, it's a turn Who of Who carves a Death Star a turn, in stone? Turn a phrase. Turn it phrase. Gravestones. Gravestones. That's the most permanent they get.
1: I'm here. I'm Drax the Destroyer. I'm literal, man. I'm here for the literal stuff. Moving on. <sighs> Boy, that escalated quickly. I mean, that really got out of hand fast. It jumped up a notch. It did, didn't it? Anyway, the point is that Inseki is clearly the best right tackle on the team and should be on the field. Stop splitting reps. Maybe this is a blessing in disguise as long as Feliciano's not significantly injured that will stop them from doing that stupid stuff and swapping out Inseki and Ford. Now, the other part of your question Third quarter. was the defensive line. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Ed Oliver's fine. I watched him. He's fine. The explosiveness is clearly there. It is entirely a technique thing for Ed Oliver now. People get really impatient with rookie players that they really shouldn't. Harrison Phillips is a great example of this. I want to use Harrison Phillips as an example of why you should be patient with Ed Oliver. Harrison Phillips, you could make an argument, was this team's best defensive tackle thus far this year when he went down? Last year, he was just okay. Yeah, he was a bit of a disappointment to people, for sure. He was just, eh, he was okay. And this year, he was okay. Yeah, all right. He's playing. Yeah, he really was. Yeah. Defensive tackle is historically not, we've been spoiled. We've watched these rookies come in and light it up, and now we're impatient. And Ed Oliver came from freaking Houston, man, and he's undersized. Technique is more important for Ed Oliver than it is for almost any other player on the field. Uh-
0: because of his physical limitations. He still has got some incredible, like, you know, you pick your, pick your, pick your analogy strength. You know, I've heard farmer strength, dad strength, old man strength. Yeah, you know, people, he's got it. The people who just Houston like. strength. What's that?
1: Houston strength. He's,
0: yeah, he's definitely got
1: all of them combined. And that shows up on tape. But he, he gets stuck on blocks sometimes because he doesn't have the techniques to disengage yet. But. If he learns, if Ed Oliver improves at the same rate, percentage rate, that Harrison Phillips did, oh dear sweet mother of Troy. Yeah, I think that what
0: you need from Ed Oliver a little bit is he is explosive, strong, a little bit raw. So add some technician to that, put some technician in that recipe, and you've got something really exciting, and he's three games in. I mean, he's going to be playing for a long time.
1: I am not concerned at all about Ed Oliver.
0: So what's wrong with the pass rush then? Is it just the ends? Is it just teams are chipping? Is it just that we're not manufacturing enough pass rush through blitzes? And that's not Sean McDermott's M.O., I understand. And Sean McDermott's, you know, historically, actually, Sean McDermott is not a very dominant pass rush defensive coordinator. But, you know, one of the things that we thought really needed to take a step forward was that and it's better but it is not something that I think is going to be keeping up offensive coordinators at night and that's what you you know you ideally would be
1: hoping for the two things that stuck out to me were number one the Bengals got the ball out pretty quick the Bengals were scheming up a lot of short processing Routes. Tell me if you saw
0: this. Again, live watch for me in, in the stadium, so not the best viewpoint. I thought that was the case in the first half, where they were getting the ball out quick. And then in the second half, I thought when Dalton was holding the ball longer and letting things develop is whenever their offense started to get moving and we were not generating pressure in those circumstances.
1: Yeah, yeah, I'd say that's true. Um, overall, overall, it didn't get home as consistently as I wanted it to. The other thing that's happening is Trent Murphy and Shaq Lawson are not the guys. They started off strong this year. We were like, okay, maybe maybe well, there's something there. Could have been the book too.
0: You know, they put stuff on film now.
1: And whatever they came out in of the off season with. The two of them are becoming are they're regressing to the mean, which is a bummer. Man, yeah, they're fine. You know, whatever. Yeah, but, but they're nothing. They're nothing. So Ed Oliver right now doesn't put the fear in people because he doesn't have the technique, and Trent Murphy and Shaq Lawson don't put the fear in people because they just they're, they're not the kind of player. Jerry Hughes is still doing Jerry stuff. Jerry can still play. Like there's a couple snaps every game where you're like, whew, boy can boy can play," but if you only have two out of four, yeah, that even make yep. you even raise an eyebrow, Yeah, it's not good enough.
0: Is, is there anything that can be done? I mean, so, so is this the reality that we are probably going to live with? Or I'll give you two things. So you tell me if either of these would be things you would entertain or that you expect Sean McDermott Leslie Frazier to entertain. One is move somebody else who's a more vicious pass rusher, a more of a pass rushing threat, in Star place. Now, now, Harrison Phillips went down, so that would hypothetically be maybe Kyle Pecco, who they've called up from the practice squad. Jordan Phillips, give him run at one tech and ask him to penetrate from that position. So now you've got him, Ed Oliver, and Jerry Hughes rushing. Move Lorenzo Alexander inside more often and have him rush from there. Are any of these things,
1: or just scheme up blitzes, Lorenzo has also not been playing as well as he played last year from a pass rushing standpoint. That's part of this too. So, what I think, what I think is likely to happen is this is just what we're dealing with. But in the back half of Kyle Williams' rookie year, it started. The light bulb started to come on for him. If the same thing happens with Ed Oliver we might be looking at a different reality yeah give it give it six weeks mm-hmm. gi- give it eight weeks and we'll see okay it's not panic button time at this point on yeah. the
0: pass rush I mean there's just nothing I mean you're not gonna start doing anything different Daryl Johnson is out there Shaq Lawson is out there Trent Murphy's out there we kind of know who these guys are. At least Daryl Johnson isn't having an immediate light bulb. He's not having an immediate impact, right? Some guys come into the league, you know, like Javon Kurse. This is, I'm not trying to say that anybody was expecting Daryl Johnson to be Javon Curse, but some guys come out, and they are a menace from day one. Daryl Johnson, sorry, guys, that is not the case, right? And so you've got... Trent Murphy and Shaq Lawson, who are already guys who had a skill set. They're NFL players. They're rosterable players. They are not guys who you ought to be relying on to be your primary sack. You know, you guys who are going to be contributing to your pass rush and your defense in that kind of way.
1: And Jerry Hughes is out there by himself doing it. The Bills pass rush overall right now is fine. It's fine. It's not good. It's not bad. It's fine. And I think the biggest chance we have of going from fine to not bad, from fine to okay, yeah, pretty good, is Ed Oliver's development. All right.
0: What about the third quarter malaise? Do you have any any sage advice for us?
1: I don't think it's a play-calling thing. I think it's an execution thing. It seems like we shoot ourselves in the foot
0: more coming out of the half than we normally do with putting ourselves back and down in distance Holding, drop passes, Josh Allen silliness, you know, those things seem to happen and come about at that time of the game when, in early in the game, we're just a little bit more in rhythm. There's
1: just, a, we're just a little cleaner. You know, the engine is running better. I would agree with that. I would agree with the fact that there seems to be an execution issue coming out of half. And I, I don't wonder if we shouldn't script a second half start. Yeah. What do you think I mean what can be done
0: if it's if it's some of your own you know uh putting yourself in a bad spot. I mean you you can preach it of course, right? And you could preach it all you want. How do you try as a coaching staff to address this like when I come when we come out of the half God damn it Quentin Spain, if I swear to God, if you jump off sides, you know, what, what do you I mean you know, uh, Dion, if you get one more holding penalty on the drive after the second half, at the start of the second half,
1: so help me. What do you, I mean, what do you do? There's only two things you can do at that point. The first one is call plays with a more significant margin of error. Now, if you'll notice, what we did out of half with the Bengals is we ran, 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 ran out of the half, right? Which is them attempting because pass plays always have a more significant margin of error than run plays. Always just by the nature of pass plays. Which is why the f- running the ball all the time has been associated with conservativeness. There's a reason why that is. It's because when you run a play, less things can go wrong than when you pass play. So Brian Dable's trying to do that. That may have been one of the reasons why he called run, 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 run coming out of halftime against the Bengals. Because he's trying to limit those false start penalties, which occur more often typically on pass plays because of cadence and things like that. But in addition, the only other thing you can do is take the plays that you know your team is most comfortable running and call those in the third quarter to get them kind of back in the swing of things. You're a little cold. Let's warm up the engine a little bit with stuff that you know. Very similar to scripting things in the first quarter. I would not be shocked and would not be opposed to us scripting the first 10 plays of the third quarter with things... That I already plan to do when the first quarter comes. Now, the difference is, if you script them ahead of time, that eliminates your ability to do halftime adjustments. So, you gotta, you're you damned if you do, damned if you don't there. But I might take more comfortable plays over the more strategically impressive plays if the strategically impressive plays are not getting started because we're shooting ourselves in the foot.
0: Yeah, it's going to be tough against Patriots, too, because who knows what that's going to look like coming out of the half. So. And you'd like to think that that's an opportunity one way or another to either come back or capitalize on position you already have. So I guess we'll see. We're going to take a break and come back and talk about the Patriots game as well as our listener shout outs. Welcome back, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us for this edition of the Nick and Nolan Show, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm Nick Bat. He is Bruce Nolan. And we are going to go ahead and jump back in. So... As we asked, you guys did not disappoint with showing up in our mentions, sliding into the iTunes DMs by giving us a little bit of feedback on what you thought of our little rinky dink podcast. So I believe you have one on your phone, right, Bruce?
1: Yes, I have one from Zeus Lizard. Zeus Lizard. Ooh, nice. Did he say anything about drops? He said he loved the drops. There you go. Keep them coming. And his favorite one was the six million dollar man. All right. I can I think we can do something about that.
0: We have the technology. So then we got one, two, three, four, five, six. Six people who showed up on our it slid into our DMs. So let's see. Who do we got here? We got Head Head Adonis. Adonymatus. Head A D I D. Omitus. I got nothing. Head add it, omatus. Headed it headed it omitus. Headed it Amitus.
1: Bibbidi, bobbidi, boo.
0: Yeah, really. <laughs> That's right. Bibbidi, bobbidi, bibidi. Good on you. Headed it Amitus. We we see you. Do not do not get any ideas people. Do not be going on here just trying to screw Bruce and I by making us sound like dummies. Because you're making up some crazy username. All right, let's see. We got AMG102482. That is the most anonymous thing you could come up with. Okay, we are taking it. Adam and Charlotte, actually. He signed it, Adam and Charlotte. We got you, Adam. Appreciate you, brother. And he also said, vote fewer drops. Uh, You are out of my favor now, Adam. That was a short-lived romance. Okay. (laughs) Next one, we got Vin Scope. He says, keep the drops. A very short review. Five stars. We appreciate you, Vin. I, think he's, you know, I was going to say related to Vin Diesel, but his last name would be Diesel. Not Vin. Just share a first name. You're just, what? There's no name for that. No. If somebody else has the name Bruce, you're, you and Bruce Smith are nothing. No. Moving on. Uh, Kincaid, one, two, three, two. Five star review. No commentary on drops. I don't know what you think, Kincaid. What do we do? How do we do? I don't know okay this is a crazy one so Nick and Nolan's son is this person's it's the greatest it's, Apple review of all time you know I will say actually if you haven't read this if you are uh, we think it's humor I mean it's about us it makes us actually a little uncomfortable uh, but it is a book of a review and if you haven't seen this it might just be worth going just to look this up it's the second review currently so it can't be that deep on your thing but uh, Nick and Nolan's son in all caps, and it's pretty pretty intense. We might need to get a restraining order, but uh, we appreciate you, Nick and Nolan's. So I don't even. It's not possible. It's not possible, right? It's not possible.
1: What's don't not possible
0: t- for this to be our child? Well, I mean, what?
1: <laughs> what? Why would I be the one who has to verify that?
0: Well, I guess that's true. I don't who knows. Okay, it's not possible. We're good. Although this person did say that crumbling someone's cookies is a euphemism for popping their cherry.
1: How do you feel about that? It's
0: your it's your article. You we- know what?
1: Crumbling someone's cookies is, is, is a is a really broad and meaningful statement that you it's just very personal you know it means whatever you want it to mean to you man whatever you need that phrase to be in with you in your life right now that's what it means
0: i think that it's very on brand for nick and nolan's son to say that let's see what do we got we got type proto 82 this pod is crumb believable that's that's the i appreciate sh- that, the pun. That, that that's for you crumb believable yeah Unbel- i get it unbelievable crumb. okay And he said, keep the drops, loves the drops. And his favorite one was, oh, yeah, like this. All right. As always, everybody, please, we ask of you, if you like what we do, head over to the iTunes store. You don't have to have a Mac or an iPad or an iPhone. You can create an account and leave us a review. We would love to hear from you and see what you think. And we will give you some love, just like all these guys, except for Adam and Charlotte cuz you don't like the you don't like the drops I got one for you. A
1: shrubbery.
0: Okay. There is a game on Sunday. We've managed to talk for an hour but not get into it.
1: I'm afraid to get into it. I, I don't I'll
0: yeah, be honest talk with you. It. I actually have been in a weird headspace from until this conversation that we've had. 99% of my attention after like 5 o'clock on on Sunday has been oh god. We have to do this. And I'm excited at the opportunity. I wrote a column talking about it. Like, we have the opportunity to punch them in the mouth, right? We have a I've I've been saying we have a puncher's chance. And for anybody who's not that familiar, in boxing, sometimes you have a guy who's a heavy favorite, a really well-rounded fighter, a guy who's, you know, good enough at everything, really knows what he's good at. If they're typically going to fall, if they are going to lose to an underdog it's going to be somebody who's got a lot of really good offense. A guy maybe who doesn't protect himself very well, a guy who doesn't have great movement, maybe not the best stamina, but he just has one hell of a, of a jab or a hook or whatever it may be. And if he catches you with that in one moment of you either doing something not right or letting your guard down, he can take it from you. That's what I think we have. I don't feel... You can see, obviously, I'm painting us as the underdog in this scenario, which I think we ought to be. So, despite the Patriots being three and zero against zero nine teams, you know we're still projecting all of the legacy of who they are onto them, right? So, I don't know how we even how you want to talk about this. I mean, the opportunity is there. I think we all, anybody who's listening to this podcast, knows what the opportunity is knows what we have the opportunity to, to change the conversation about what the AFC East is. It's at home. So luckily we have the crowd in our back pocket, but this is one of those situations where it's kind of like we said it a couple weeks ago. Every time you go up against the Patriots, you kind of got to say, Ooh, uh, we might have to score on defense. We might need a kick return for a touchdown. We might need the crowd to cause some issues for them. You know, pound for pound. I don't know that we're going to go up against them and just impose our will. And take it. We, we haven't proven that we can do that. So, I don't know if you want to go right into Bill's win if or Patriots win if. I just, I, I don't know how we think about
1: stealing this. I think this conversation has to start with the Patriots defense against Josh Allen. I think it has to start there. Not just because this whole season and every season until he becomes clearly the guy or clearly the not guy. It's going to be about Josh Allen, not just because of that, but also because the Patriots defense can become the first team in, I think, history to not allow a touchdown scored against their defense in five straight games this upcoming week. Four straight games? They currently have four straight games, going back to last year. Oh, okay. All right. So... The Patriots' defense, regardless of the level of talent, they were playing against Ben Roethlisberger week one. Regardless, I I understand it was the Jets and the Dolphins. I totally get that. But even the worst teams in the world are going to get a touchdown here and there. The Patriots have a unique defensive philosophy, which is that we've talked about pass rush versus coverage a couple times on this podcast, the Patriots have very clearly valued coverage over pass rush. They're on the cutting edge of that concept. It used to be that pass rush was valued over coverage, period. And then offenses responded by getting the ball out faster. And now the Patriots are responding by saying, okay, fine, we'll go heavy on coverage and value that. And the coverage will help our pass rush get there because those plays that you want to be fast are not going to be fast because you're going to have to double clutch the ball and hold on to it longer because the plays that you think are going to be open at 2 seconds are not open at 2 seconds. And so you have to wait to 4 seconds. And there's lots of pass rushes that can get there consistently if you have to hold the ball 4 seconds every time. So that's the Patriots' theory. Against a quarterback who last year held the ball for a ridiculously long time in Josh Allen, and this year has held the ball for considerably less time, this is my number one concern going into this year. On one hand, you have a quarterback who, unlike Baker Mayfield, can make plays when he holds the ball long a long time. That's a bad thing for the Patriots secondary. The Patriots secondary is going to be, daggone it, No matter how good we are, we can't cover for seven seconds.
0: Yeah, that's the conventional wisdom, right? There is a time frame under which
1: coverage will break down. I don't think the game plan for the Bills this week should be get the ball out of Josh Allen's hands fast. I don't think that should be the game plan. Should it be just max protect and let things develop? I want the ball in Josh Allen's hands as long as humanly possible. That's exciting. I mean, that, that that's big plays. This is this is a, and this is my particular. This, you're getting Bruce's opinion here.
0: If Bruce, if if Brian Dable was texting you saying, "Hey man, what the
1: hell should he, what do you think I should be doing this week?" Don't spread the field and go four wides and try and get the ball out of Josh Allen's hands fast. Don't do that. Give me 21 personnel. Punch him in the face with Patrick Demarco. And play action, deep shot off of that. Deep crossers with John Brown so he can use pure speed to kind of run away from Stephon Gilmore because what's going to happen, I'm telling you right now, this is what's going to happen. The Patriots are going to look at the Bills receivers and go, I can mess them up. I'm going to get Stephon Gilmore directly in the face of John Brown every single snap. Heavy press. Heavy press. So here's what I want to see from the Bills offense. I want to see pre-snap motion to get people off of press. I want to see John Brown in the slot. I want to see slot fades and slot slot deep shots. And I want to see play action from 21 personnel. That's what I want this week. That's what I want to see from Josh Allen, Brian Dable, and the Bills
0: offense this week. So what wide receivers do you want on the field? Because... Cole Beasley and Isaiah McKenzie, they're you know, they're trademark, and they're getting playing time, obviously. I mean, even McKenzie, he was on the field a lot at the very beginning of the game, and then his, his reps faded quickly against the Bengals. Those are guys who are typically quick. You know what I mean? They're 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 manufactured open. They're the Los Angeles Rams receivers, right? So does that mean that you want Zay Jones and Robert Foster getting a lot more rep and Andre Roberts?
1: I don't want Zay Jones on the field at all.
0: That's bold statement for some people to hear.
1: I mean he's he's only getting 36 38% of the snaps, something like that. It's uh, not it's, it's crazy. not easy.
0: I mean well I I did a sarcastic tweet about look at Zay's consistency year over year because they're talking about right yeah, talking about statistical production and Zay being the primary guy in last year's offense. Now, yeah. Peterman was there for a half, Josh Allen was a different player. I get it, I get it. But is nearly identical to what he did last year at this time. And John Brown and Cole Beasley are well outpacing him. Zay
1: Jones can run block. Great. You know who else can run block? Dawson Knox. But if you swap Zay Jones for Dawson Knox in any personnel grouping, it's going to be beneficial to you. Any personnel grouping. That's against this team. And I understand that's that's a very bold, maybe abrasive statement. But against this team, in any formation, in any personnel grouping, If I substitute Zay Jones for Dawson Knox, I like what my look comes back at better.
0: Yeah. I I, I mean, you can't do the same thing all game. I I think that one of the things that would be most in our favor, personnel grouping-wise, might be single back with Frank Gore, Dawson Knox, and Lee Smith, John Brown, and... Cole Beasley. Cole Beasley. You would have even over Foster, despite the speed.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Because I don't, I don't trust Foster's ability to separate in the short intermediate routes. And so... Isn't it kind of easy to bracket
0: John Brown then, though? If you don't have another deep threat on the field and that's kind of what you want to be developing or long developing routes for John Brown? Sure,
1: but I trust Dawson Knox on a deep crosser. Okay. I don't think, I don't think that John Brown is your only deep... When I say deep, I'm not necessarily talking about 50-yard bombs. Obviously you're not gonna 50 yard bomb it to Dawson Knox, but if you go a deep in or a deep crosser or a deep out, or if you go play action and you roll Josh Allen out of the pocket, I don't trust the Patriots I don't trust the Patriots pass rush to be able to really bother him that much if you have John Brown and Dawson Knox both running deep crossers and having time to run away from the coverage. Yeah, because if you try and go short staccato routes against really physical corners, the timing is going to be completely toast. You have to ask those players to run away from Stephon Gilmore, to run away from the coverage at that point.
0: I tell you what, what I'm really worried about is, regardless of the production that we get on the passing game with completed passes, I think we haven't really been tested on the secondary with our by the secondaries we've played with them going after the ball carrier's ball, like going after ripping the ball out. And I just imagine Bill Belichick seeing, oh, they're going to be playing probably a lot of two rookie tight ends in Tyler Croft and Tommy Sweeney. Every time those guys get the get the ball, you go at the ball. I don't even care about the tackle. Go at the ball, go at the ball. And, you know, that could be a learning moment for those players, but I sure hope, I don't know. I just think that, we, we 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 go up against the Patriots and sometimes things that we have not seen but that are an easy part of football. Like there's something that we all know is a part of the game just suddenly snake bites us
1: in this game. I would agree with that. And there's lots of different ways where that could go poorly. And that's just because the Bills are not at the Patriots level right now. At least they haven't proven to be. Maybe maybe we're going to be having this discussion next week and going, are the, are the Bills the best team in the AFC East? Maybe that's... I don't think it's going to happen, but maybe we are having that discussion. Now, the inverse of this conversation is the Bills' defense against the Patriots' offense. So we just talked about the Patriots and didn't even say the words Tom Brady until right now. The Patriots' offense is whatever it needs to be. The weakness of this Bills' team is twofold. Number one, they can be beaten on the ground. This Bills' team can be beaten on the ground. The second thing is this Bills team can be beaten by pure speed. Now, the Patriots don't have Cordell or Patterson anymore. But they still have running game. Now, under the radar, James Devlin, that fullback that we talked about a lot in the offseason, we were talking about DeMarco and Dable and the Patriots, and Devlin's out for the year. Low-key, really important. Bill Belichick just lost someone, and he probably wouldn't tell you, but he's not happy about that. He's not happy about having a fullback, his fullback out. Because the Patriots can power run.
0: If that's your weakness,
1: that's what they will do. And that's what they will do. And I wouldn't be shocked if we kept Tom Brady in check and still lost this game because they ran for 170 yards. Oof. That would, not, that would not shock me at all.
0: That's an ugly way to lose, man. That is a bad way to lose because you just feel like they outmanned you. In those circumstances, when they just impose their will on the ground against the, a Hall of Fame quarterback, that's them saying, you know, we probably could beat you this way uh, because we have Tom Brady. So we could, we could probably beat you this way. But we just know you're not good at this thing. So we're going to beat you in a way that isn't even what you're
1: expecting us to do. But you and I are talking about it now, Yeah. so enough. I mean, we're not smarter, right, right? Right? Than Leslie Frazier and Sean McDermott. Yeah, they know that it's coming. I yeah, and I also think Tom Brady being as good
0: as he is, as good as our coverage has been, as good as we've been in the intermediate stuff. I don't. I don't know, man. I mean, you just he just seems to catch Edelman in these weird positions where all of a sudden he's got thirteen yards of running room on a on a defensive rep when you thought. Everybody was in relatively good position.
1: And unfortunately, they have a receiver now who can beat you deep. Yeah, Josh you, Gordon. Yeah. If you bracket Edelman, he can beat you deep. And I have historically, over the course of this pod's life, talked about how deep speed can be problematic for the Bills. And we, have taken, we haven't given it up yet. We haven't given it up yet.
0: Knocking on wood.
1: Yes can all hear it but I think I think if I'm the Bills defense I prepare for a power running game and I might say you know what Trey you want your opportunity this is it Tredavious White on Josh Gordon all game long you want to prove you're a big boy corner no safety help If I was the defensive coordinator for the Bills and I was going to have a discussion about what this is going to be like, I'd go to Trey and say, Josh Gordon, can you get him? Yeah, okay. You want your shot? You want to go up against a big boy? Let's do it. How long is the leash if that goes poorly? The whole game. Oh, well, I mean, you got to pick your poison against these teams. So I would much rather, I would much rather let Trey try to prove that he's the dog that he thinks he is. Because I like Trey. And he wants the opportunity. He wants that. He, he wants you to put him on Well, he was on, on John Gordon. Ross
0: a lot by himself. They did not take our defensive schematic recommendation. And John Ross
1: toasted his butt one time and Andy Dalton just missed him. Yeah. But Josh Gordon doesn't run the way John Ross does. But he's bigger. And I think... If I'm the Bills defensive coordinator, I'm going to say okay. Who's the guy? I mean, this, you tell me if you think this way. Who's the the
0: the individual wide receiver who has given Trey White the most trouble over his career? AJ Green. Josh Gordon is better than AJ Green. He is when he's you're you're squinting. Whenever he, Josh I'm not Gordon. I'm sure I agree with that. When Josh well, he's not a better investment as a, as a personnel on your team. This is a much more risk. At his peak, Josh Gordon is is I mean,
1: he's incredible. Yeah, but define peak. We've only seen one season of Josh Gordon reasonably at his peak. So That's maybe it. he's not that anymore. Right. They're, they are
0: they are very similar as far as what they can do. They are High pointers. They are contested catch guys. They can run. They can get off whenever you want to keep them at the line of scrimmage. Yeah, that is uh, that is a tough matchup for Trey. I, I'm glad to have Trey other than anybody else. I'm glad I'm not another, not another team and I have to put a different player on him because the potential for Trey to rise to the
1: occasion actually exists. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if it was me, I'd say all right. Because I, I... You'd rather take away Edelman. I'd rather bracket Edelman and keep my players closer to the box for a power running game than try to defend the deep ball and literally get death by paper cuts. You know, one of the things that the Bills defense has historically done well is they've made you have 14 play drives. And they say, listen, at some point, you're going to screw up. You're going to beat yourself. And you, you can't possibly be perfect 14 plays in a row. Yeah. But we can, as a defense... And if you screw up and now all of a sudden you're behind the sticks, you're going to have to punt. Here's the problem. Tom Brady can be perfect 14 times in a row. Absolutely.
0: Yeah, I I think one of the choices the Bills have made in the past against the Patriots is that we would bracket Gronk a lot. Because he's a matchup nightmare. I mean, it's hard to put one person on him and and expect any success. But Gronk had several very quiet games against the Bills the last couple of years. And and I think that was a choice. I mean, you, you saw him a lot of times in double coverage. There was safety help there. And the Bills were choosing to take that away. Well, Gronk's not there anymore. So what's the choice now?
1: Well, the other thing we have to talk about with the Patriots is we have to talk about running backs out of the backfield. We have to talk about Rex Burkhead. We have to talk about James White. We have to talk about these people literally chewing us up for seven yards at a time on little swing passes. And this is where the personnel groupings come into play. When you have a fullback and they go in 21 personnel and we respond in base defense, but then they flex the fullback out, take the linebacker out, and then they throw a pass to the running back, you have a running back isolated with a linebacker on coverage. And that's something that has historically just shoot him. it was Deion Lewis and it was Rex Burkhead
0: it's anybody's and cast off it's James off. White it's anybody's it's- cast off anybody else's cast off the Patriots just churn them into old reliable
1: and that's a concern for this team is Matt Milano up to the task do you put Tremaine Edmonds on that Tremaine Edmonds who's been very good tackling in space this year really good but he's really big for a five foot seven running back. Do you really want a six foot five guy in man coverage on a five foot seven running back in short area quickness? Mm, maybe not. What do you do? But then if you go sub package. Saran and they, Neal. Yeah. You just put Saran Neal on him all game. But then if you go sub package as a defense and they roll in with a fullback, they just punch you in the face.
0: Well, do they have a full? I mean, Devlin's out. They have a They have back. another fullback, right? They have a rostered fullback. Well, I, I don't know. I mean, I guess I would probably sub-package because Saran Neal's a good tackler. He's he's a bigger body. This is why we have a big nickel. This is why big nickel exists. Big nickel exists for this the bullshit that the Patriots are going to try to do to us on Sunday. Pretty much. And we're going to find out whether or not. I mean, I would imagine that we're going to go sub-package. I, I just think that that's... You're trying to match up skill set for skill set because if you give them a matchup... That is an immediate win for them and skill set. They exploit you like that. They're this isn't just any team. This is a this is a really
1: good, well oiled like head on the shoulders of this offense. But if you go sub package, you are literally accentuating the thing that we're worst at right now on defense, which is defending the run. So what do we do? Pray. <laughs>
0: yeah, I, I I would imagine we go sub package and you hope that you. Scheme up, run defense better. I, I I, mean, you just tell, I, you're going to be beat. I mean, play action is going to eat you alive, but you just tell Poyer and Hyde and Saran we're going to need you, but they're going to bite, and then we're going to get beat.
1: If you go sub-package and you keep Poyer close to the line of scrimmage, I could be convinced into that. I could be convinced is Poyer, to put Poyer in man coverage on the running back so that he stays close to the line of scrimmage and just goes single high the whole game. Well, it, but then, of course, what I'm doing now is I'm putting Trey on even more of a significant... Like I said about defenses earlier, you have to give them something. Are you bracket... So if you do that, and we've talked about trying
0: to bracket Edelman or Gordon, hypothetically, and then whoever else is on the field is, is man. If we do that, and you put Poyer down, and you put him on the running back, and he's, you know, he's in the box... Is anybody bracketing Edelman at that point? Sir so and Taron Johnson are. So you're nickel. Okay. That
1: sounds, I mean, that sounds like you've got a puncher's chance for that to work. Because I think Jordan Poyer, with how he's been playing, I think Jordan Poyer can help us play the run and can also cover those running backs in space.
0: Yeah. How many How many defensive backs do you think we dress? We only dressed uh, eight last week. It was four and four cuz Ter- Taron Johnson and Dean Marlowe were inactive. Yeah. Let's Taron Johnson might be hurt again. But do you want a fifth safety? Dressing? Or would you rather have I don't I mean who? Mo Alexander, he dresses, right?
1: I I'd, I'd probably dress at 8 again. I dress 8. Bruce. Who are you? Well, four safeties, man. Four safeties. Oh, okay. Hey, that's fine four corners four safeties if Terrence hurt. Yeah, as, long, as long, my problem is when you start dressing seven defensive backs. I I have I have problems at that point. Yeah, Five we corners. Done that yet. Yeah. I think we dressed
0: nine one game.
1: Mm-hmm. You were just a
0: pig in <laughs>
1: that night. Oh, juice. It was it was, <laughs> it was good. It was the best times. It was the best
0: of times, it was the worst of times. All right. Bills win if. We didn't do this last week. I don't know why. We talked about it enough. People know what we thought, but Bills
1: win if. The Bills win if Josh Allen can connect on big plays in a way that he has not done thus far this year. Big vertical plays. Hmm. So here, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to think about this out loud for a second. I do not think he can matriculate the ball the exact way that he's been against the Patriots' defense. The pa- I think we need big 50-yard touchdowns.
0: Okay, so here's two things that are really tough I just, I'm just i coming to. The Bills, the Patriots haven't allowed a touchdown this season, and they didn't allow one in the last game of last season, which I guess is a streak or whatever. But they haven't allowed a touchdown this season, right? Typically, if you say, oh, we're playing the Patriots, what do you think you have to put on the board to win? 28? 28,
1: 32,
0: something like that. 28, 24, maybe. Oof. That's three touchdowns. <laughs> That's three touchdowns plus, right? That's three touchdowns plus other scores. Four touchdowns, maybe. So you're going to go from them having allowed no touchdowns to being the team that scores four touchdowns on them in an individual game. Bills win if they hold the Patriots to 14. That's what I'll have to say because I just don't I don't see it. Uh, Patriots win
1: if. Patriots win if. They have over 125 yards rushing because I think that means that the bubble got burst. Patriots win if Trey White has a bad game.
0: That's <laughs> okay. I mean, that could be two. That could be two plays. That could be two deep plays, and then they get one touchdown on the ground, and you're in you're in big trouble. You're in big trouble. Okay. Well, after that joyous conversation, <laughs> we will go ahead and turn turn it in and, and turn it over to you guys. Uh, thank you so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. Let us know what you think. You can find me on Twitter at NickBat, I C K B A T. You can find me on Twitter at Bruce Exclusive. And as always, as we get ready to go against the elephant in the division, the New England Patriots at home at New Era Field, don't ever forget. I do the cha-cha like a sissy girl. I like-a do da cha-cha.